Why don't you grab your Bible with me, please? I, um, I'm looking forward to the day that I believe in the not-too-distant future. It's, it's a good problem. I like the problem we have. If you show up late, you have trouble finding a seat. It makes people be on time. And um, it's a great problem. I'm not picking on you if you slipped in a little late today. But um, I, I'm looking forward to the day that I'm going to just believe by faith within the next 60 days that we'll have, we'll not be having two services. We'll all be together in a new facility. Amen? Amen. The Lord is orchestrating and working there. That is moving forward. And we have a, we have a, a go from all parties involved. And so we're just doing all the legal stuff to get it in order and get lines dotted and signed and Lord willing, we'll just see. It could just be by Easter. Wouldn't that be fun? And uh, so we'll just see what the Lord is doing. I'm certain that he's doing a greater work than just giving us a facility. Um, It's not about buildings, at least not man-made ones. The Lord doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Um, but I'm excited for what a, a facility with more room affords us. And I thank God for that. And I would, some of you might, don't throw anything at me, but I just don't know how long the building will last with just one service, just to be real honest. And that's a good problem. We've had good practice getting ready for two. And so I'd love nothing more than... By the time we've been there a few months, the Lord just, it's him that builds his church. He adds to the church daily such as should be saved. He hasn't changed. And so we're just going to see what he'll do. Amen? I'm telling you, there is a harvest. There is a harvest that is about to be gathered in. There's a harvest that is about to be gathered in. And it will not be by the works of men. Men may have planted seed and we will still plant seed. We'll still need to pray. We still need to plant. We still need to water. But I read in the word that there are angels that harvest. It's in there. And I believe we are getting ready to step into something where angels are working with us. They are ministering spirits sent by God to them that are the heirs of salvation. They are ministering spirits. A ministering spirit, minister means to serve. Angels are sent to serve them who are the heirs. That's us. We don't command them. We don't tell them what to do. God does. But his word declares that they are sent to serve. I'm telling you. There are angels that I believe are at the ready. And the Lord will speak the word when he says he's ready to speak the word. And they are going to work with us. And they are going to harvest. We're going to see it. In Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Micah, please, chapter 7. 
You can just get there. That might take you a minute. I know that's sort of hidden in there on you. If I just said Genesis, you'd be quick. If you got a Bible like mine, it's page 984. If you don't, I can tell you where to get one. Amen. The book of Micah, chapter number 7. Praise God. Amen. Verse number 7 is where I'd like to start. I know some of you are still looking. You'll find it. We're going to get it up here on the screen for you. Micah chapter 7, verse number 7. It's an interesting passage, this short prophetic book. You read from the beginning, you begin to hear the judgments of the Lord on the children of Israel because of their wrong and poor choices. And you see things that have happened to them in those first few chapters. And you hear the wrath of the Lord being spoken about. And it's interesting in those first two to three chapters. And by the time you get to the end of the third chapter, you're just like, man, there's no hope. You read it. The third chapter finishes. He's saying, hey, Jerusalem's going to be in heaps. It's going to be plowed like a field. And you're thinking, that's it. But you go to chapter 4, and chapter 4 begins to talk about the kingdom of God being established. And chapter 5, he begins to get into messianic prophecy and begins to prophesy about the coming Christ. And then by the time you get to chapter 7, the whole tenor of the book is changed. And it's sounding completely different. You get to verse 7. The scripture says, Micah writing here on behalf of the people, and he's speaking now really of the church, if you look at it prophetically. He says, therefore, I will look where? Now, again, I, I gave you that short, really brief synopsis of the little beginning because what happens is if you're not careful when you've gone through some bad stuff that was your fault, you don't look to the Lord, you look to your past. You look to your failure, you look to your mistake, you look to... And Micah could have written and penned his own thoughts and said, I'll look at what we did wrong and just hope. I'll look at where we failed and just maybe. I'll look at all the mistakes and just maybe, just maybe God will rescue us so we make it through. But that's not what he said. He said, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. If we don't read anything else, and we're going to. But if we don't read anything else, hear those words from that verse. If you need change from where you've been to where you're going, it starts right there. Change where you're looking. Change where you're looking. First, where do I look? Very easy. You want direction for your life? Look to the Lord. First thing, look to the Lord. Then what will I do? I'll wait for God to do what he can only do in my life. And then what I'll do? God will hear me. Wait, wait, wait. How is God going to hear him? I didn't hear him say anything about prayer. Did he? I think it's sort of assumed that if I'm looking to the Lord, I'm talking to the Lord. 
If I'm looking to the Lord, I'm communing with the Lord. If I'm looking to the Lord, you ever look to somebody for answers? Wouldn't it be funny if I needed answers and I thought, Brother Lewis knows the answers I have. And I went over and I said, After a minute, he's going to be like, what? What? See, where we're looking, we begin communicating. This is what the prophet is declaring. I will look to the Lord. We understand that by the last line of that verse. My God will hear me. His looking is also an expression of his need. Verse 8. Now, remember, I gave you the short synopsis of the first three chapters. Verse 8, he says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Now, I love that verse. That verse is often quoted. But notice something. He says, when I fall, not if I fall. He says, when I sit in darkness, not if I sit in darkness. I think the prophet Micah had lived long enough and seen enough. And obviously he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, giving him the words. And so he's lived long enough to understand it's not going to be if I fall, it's going to be when. It is a consequence of being human. And when I sit in darkness, it's just going to be a part sometimes of the journey of life. But my focus is not on my falling, my failure, the darkness. Remember how he started. I'm looking to the Lord. He's going to hear me. And so when I fall, don't get excited, adversary. Don't get too worked up thinking, oh, you've had a good day. I'm going to get back up. Not because of my own ability or my own sufficiency. It's going to happen because of verse number 7. Because I was looking to the Lord and he heard me. And so when I fall, I'm going to get back up. When I'm sitting in darkness, he's going to be a light to me. You know, sometimes we just need an attitude change. Micah's declaring what happens. Now, let's read it first. Watch this, verse 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. Now, what's he talking about? Remember, I referenced the first three chapters. You can go read these this afternoon. He understands some of my choices. I'm going to deal with some things that are a result of my choices. Israel's going to have to bear some things because of choices they made. But it's not the end of the story. I'll bear the indignation of the Lord. Why? Because I have sinned against Him. Until. Until what? Until He. Who's He? Who's that? The Lord. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. I failed. I sinned. I missed the mark. I fell short. I'm going to bear the indignation of the Lord. But the Lord in his infinite mercy and love towards me, I understand he is actually going to then, after I've borne some of that indignation, He's going to begin to bear my cause and plead my cause. It sounds exactly like what the writer said in Scripture in Hebrews when he said, the Lord ever lives to make intercession for us. What in the world? 
He ever lives. Who ever lives? The Lord Jesus Christ. He who is the high priest is what the writer of Hebrews was talking about. His purpose for living is to intercede for us. You know what? You don't even know how to pray like you ought to pray. Especially when you and I mess up. We grovel. We complain. We, we carry on. We woe is me. We, we, all this stuff. We don't know. So the spirit of the Lord intercedes for us. And this is what the writer Micah is saying to us. He'll plead my cause. He'll execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to light, and I shall behold his righteousness. You believe that? Amen. Now, that was just got us settled here, I think. Raise your hand. I know this gets us nervous. Raise your hand if you've ever done something really dumb and failed. Oh, man, we're in the right room. Right? It's an interesting thing about us as human beings. Let me ask that question in a different way. How many of you, since you've been living for God, How many of you, since you've been living for God, have done something dumb and failed? Look around. Yeah. Yeah. It's always funny when somebody tells me, I'm not going to that church. There's so many hypocrites. Well, that's the dumbest statement I've ever heard. You're not going to find hypocrites in the world. People in the church are trying to do the right thing, but they fail and make mistakes. And they're ashamed of their mistakes, so they try to hide it. That's what human beings do. Now, some of them aren't honest with themselves, but those of us that, by the grace of God, will become honest with ourselves. He saves us from our hypocrisy to be more like Him. Amen. Now, so, it's a funny thing. How many of you like failing? Raise your hand. Nobody. Interesting. We don't, do we? That's what makes hypocrites. Because <laughs> we don't like failing. And so if I fail, I want to do something so nobody thinks I failed. I want to still look like I've got it all together even when I failed. That's where hypocrisy comes from. I'm not encouraging hypocrisy. Don't misunderstand me this morning, okay? But we just need to, sometimes we beat ourselves up for being human rather than understanding we can't do it on our own. We need the Lord. We're going to fail. We're going to falter. Israel failed. That's why we read this. They failed. They made mistakes. They failed. But they got to a point where they got a revelation of the kingdom. They got some prophetic word about the Christ. And Micah, Micah didn't get to see the kingdom come like the New Testament did. Micah didn't get to see the coming Christ that he prophesied about. But he had such a revelation and prophetic utterance about the kingdom and the Christ that he knew when that happens, I can tell the enemy, don't rejoice against me because even though I fall, I'm going to arise. Even if I'm in darkness, there's going to be light. He knew that just from the revelation he got. But failure is going to be a part of your life and mine. It's, I, I remember I was a, let me finish the story before you throw anything. I was like a straight A student. 
Any straight-A students in the room? Sister Priscilla was probably like a straight-A student. Where are you? No, okay, I thought maybe so. I was a straight-A student. Like, then I hit high school. I was going to say I hit kindergarten, just but no. <laughs> but then I hit high school. And, man, my freshman year in high school, it wasn't that I didn't know anything anymore. Or I couldn't do, and, and by the way, straight A's are not, I've lived long enough to know now some people work through books and tests, and some people that just doesn't click. So don't. So anyway, I get to ninth grade. And uh, I was much more interested in other things at that point in life than I was in geography and science and biology. And, you know, if you've ever been in ninth or tenth grade, you probably understand. And so I really wasn't focused on school anymore once I hit ninth grade. Nobody told me that's when it really starts mattering. I got it backwards, right? And so this one class I had, I got the, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to go, go all in. I got an F. Not like I got a B, I got an F for the first semester in this class. Man, I did not want to take that report card home. I, I, do they even do report cards anymore? Yeah. You take them home or does it come digital now? Email. Oh, you can't even hide it from your parent. Like, like you can't even change the grade before you get it home. I'm not saying I ever did that. I'm just telling you that I might have friends that did. I never did that. But you had to, it was like the walk of shame. You had to carry that report card. Anybody old enough that carried your report card home? Thank you. I was getting nervous. It was like the walk of shame when you had to slide that thing to your parents. It's like, oh man. And I remember, I knew there was an F inside that card. And there was A's in there too, but there was an F in there. And I wasn't, I wasn't thinking my dad was going to rejoice over the A's. I was thinking, dad's going to see the F. And he's going to want to know what's going on, right? And so he did. I'll spare you the rest of that story for now. I went back to school. My teacher, she helped me understand the importance of high school and my grades from ninth forward. Thank God for understanding patient teachers. Amen. I don't just mean in school. I mean in life. And Miss Hardman, I still remember her name. And I went to 23 different schools. I remember her name. Miss Hardman sat down with me and she said, Joel, I know that grade is not you. She wasn't trying to pump me up. She was dead. She's like, I know, I've looked. She said, now you understand, no matter what you do in the second semester, the best you can do is a C for the year. She said, but if you'll apply yourself in the second semester... And you get to an A plus in the second semester. I'll make sure you have a B minus for the year. Man, her class became my favorite class. What happened? She took that failure 
And she showed me what it meant in my life. But she refused to let me live in that failure. Does that make sense? Now, that's the natural. And failures happen in the natural. And I don't know how much I've used that class anymore since I was in it. But we have failures in walking and living for God. And the challenge for us is we believe our sin defines us in how God uses us. We believe our failure and our mistake becomes a measure of how much God can and will work with us or not. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. I want you to just look at some things in Scripture with me. You'll know these stories. If not, just trust me. You can go look at them later. Anybody remember King David? I just mentioned the name, and you think about his failure, don't you? That's how significant his was. We all know. And we think about it. And yet, it was his son. Yes? It was his son that came from the woman that he failed when he brought her to himself. Now, obviously, the child with her died from his failure. Wasn't the child's fault. But the Lord, when he got the relationship right, gave them a child. That child, the throne of David was established through that child. Yes? The name and the bloodline of Jesus Christ was established through that child. Yes? Search your scripture. David and Bathsheba bore Solomon. Solomon became the wisest man that ever lived. Solomon became the continuing bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ. If David would have been defined by his failure, see, that's how we think. We think, oh my goodness, God will never use you now. Here's what we think would happen. Oh, David, God was going to do this. God was going to cause his bloodline to run through you. But because you failed, God's going to kick you to the curb and get somebody else. And all you can ever hope to do is just warm a pew and just show up and just be thankful God loves you. That's deception. His desire to use you and I does not waver because we miss the mark. I'm going to say that again. God's desire to use you and I in his kingdom does not waver because we miss the mark. You and I might think that way because we're human. Well, you fail me, you hurt me. I'm going to put some parameters around whether I'll use you or love you or what I'll. That's not how God thinks. Remember Jonah? Raise your hand if you remember Jonah. You know the story of Jonah. Those of you that don't know the story of Jonah, here's a real quick short version. Jonah, God spoke to him and said, not, not Brother Jonah right back here, this guy yet. No. I believe God spoke to him too, but not that one. In the Bible. God spoke to Jonah. Don't you wish God would just talk to you and tell you what to do and where to go? He did to Jonah. He said, Jonah, I want you to go down to Nineveh. And when you go, this is what I want you to say. 
How wonderful would that be? If God came to you and said, Sister Alex, I want you to go down to Mattawa. I want you to go to this store, and this is what I want you to say. Would you go? Of course you would, right? She's not like Jonah. Okay, so God told Jonah, go to Nineveh, say this. Man, you would think, I heard from God. Not only did he tell me where to go, he told me what to say. Praise God, I'm going. Aren't we funny as human beings? Don't beat Jonah up too bad. Jonah did not want to go. See, now, I asked Sister Alex, if God told you to go to Mattawa, if I would have said, hey, God says he wants you to go to Timbuktu. Whoa, hold on a minute. Matter what we can do that. When I was a kid, there was a song, please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I got what it takes. I don't like lions and jungles and snakes or something like that. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was cruel. The people of Nineveh were cruel. They were barbaric. They had, they had massacred Hebrew people. You can read and study the history. They were violent and just grotesque things. They would cut limbs off and behead. And, and so when Jonah gets the word from God to go there, he's like, no. I want them to get everything coming to them. That was his attitude. And so he said, I don't want to do it. And I'm going to, I don't know if he told the Lord that. His actions did. The Bible says he bought a ticket on a ship going to Tarshish. Is that right? Is that where he was going? Yeah. And if, I guess the way it reads in the scripture, Nineveh would be this way and Tarshish was that way. And so the Lord said, go here and say this. And Jonah says, I'll take a ticket. I'm going this way. I think we would call that failing God. Fair statement. Jonah failed God. And so what happened? storm the storm came now the storm wasn't to destroy him the storm was to get him in the proper posture for what God wanted to do with him see we make a mistake or we fail God in our direction and a storm comes and we think God is punishing Oh, no, he's getting your attention to get you postured in position to get you back in alignment with where he wants to take you and what he wants to do with you. And so the storm came, and everybody's going crazy on the boat, and Jonah's acknowledging, I'm the one. It's me. At least he had the wherewithal to acknowledge and be honest that, you know, this storm, I understand why he who's causing the storms getting my attention. Throw me out, and you'll be fine. I don't know what happened for him to think that. I don't know that I would ever be in the middle of a sea in a storm and it be my, and say, just throw me out of the boat and everything will be fine. But I think he probably knew and heard from God. And, so, and of course, the scripture says the Lord had prepared a great fish to take. And so Jonah goes, ends up in this great fish. Long story short, the fish vomits him out. And he's like, okay, I'll go. Yes? 
You know when Jonah's greatest ministry was? After he failed God. Tell me about Jonah's ministry before he failed God. Anybody? What do you know about this great prophet before he failed the Lord? He clearly had a relationship with God. God clearly believed in him. God clearly spoke to him. He clearly heard from God in his life. But the greatest ministry of his life that's recorded for all of us came after he failed God. Now, he couldn't stay in his place of failure. He had to be willing to understand and recognize and realize, even after my failure, God can still use me if he wants to. And so he failed, and he goes into Nineveh. And I'm telling you, read the whole of Scripture. Read all 66 books from front to back. I don't know that there's a greater revival in Scripture than the revival that Jonah preached. How many people were in that city? Some Bible scholar. hundred and something thousand? 300,000? Where's all the Bible scholars helping me out here? Everybody's looking at somebody else. Jonah went in preaching, and the scripture says he was three days in. This is how big the city was. You got he's walking, and he's three days in preaching. Three days in, he made it to the center of the city. That's pretty big. Either that, or he stopped and was a long-winded preacher along the way. But either way, three days in, he's in the center of the city. And he's preaching what God told him to preach. And the word got to this heathen, barbaric, terrible people. The king heard the word. And when the king heard the word of God, he repented. And he sent out a word to all of the city of Nineveh. And he said, repent, fast, humble yourself. And perhaps God will not do what he said. Can you imagine being a minister of the gospel and God sending you into a city and you go in and you say what he says and the leader of that city sends out a decree to the entire city and the whole city fasts and repents? At least 100,000 people, I'm remembering, maybe more. There's 110,000 people in Yakima. I got faith for it. I have faith for it. I have faith for it. I have faith for them. He's the same God. I have faith for them. The entire city repented. God did that through a man that failed him. And you think your failure means God won't use you. It's a lie. It's a lie. You think your failure defines the depth of your ministry. Oh, it does, but not the way you think. Your failure will define the depth of your ministry in a very positive way if you let God use you. Because failure tells us, I can't do it without him. 
Anybody remember the Apostle Peter? You know that guy? Luke chapter 22 is an interesting story. Luke 22, we find the Apostle Peter. And he's defending the Lord Jesus. It's a great thing to do, isn't it? He's defending the Lord Jesus. says, Lord, this is not going to be happening to you. They're not going to do this to you. And the Lord turns to the Apostle Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. You ever said the wrong thing and knew right after you said it, you said the wrong thing? Yeah, that's what happened to Peter. He knew, oh, I must have said the wrong thing. Get behind me, Satan, you savers, not the things that be of God. But in Luke 22, the Lord Jesus responds to him and he says this to Peter. He says, Peter, Satan has desired to have you. And the reason he wants to have you is he wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to take you through it. He wants to take you and cause your failures. And then when he, once you fail, he wants to sift you like wheat so that you'll never believe I can use you again. Now, that's my thought. The scripture doesn't. The scripture says he wants to sift you like wheat. But look at the next verse, verse 32. Jesus said, what did he say? I've done what? Oh, isn't that what Micah said? Micah said, he will plead my cause. The writer of Hebrews says, he ever lives to make intercession for. I'm starting to see a pattern here. Jesus said, Peter, I have prayed for you. You're going to fail. Satan's going to try to sift you. But Peter, don't despair. I prayed for you. The same spirit that Micah tapped into when he said, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemies. When I fall, I shall arise. It was the living God standing in front of Peter. And he said, I know what Satan's going to try to do to you. And he may have some effect. But Peter, I prayed for you. And when you're converted. What does that mean? Peter, the result of this is going to do some stuff to you. It's going to bring some change. Conversion means change, yes? Peter, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Now, Peter, this is really a good time to stop talking. You ever had one of those moments where you're like, you knew you should stop talking, but you couldn't help yourself? I won't make you raise your hand. I had a funny thought I won't share. one of those times this is probably a good point when Jesus the living God in flesh just said I've prayed for you and gave you some direction it's probably a good time to start talking unless you're just saying thank you Lord give me grace but watch what Peter said he felt like this is a great opportunity for me to help God realize how great I am and how committed I am Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you into prison and to death. Peter, you should have stopped talking. Next verse. And Jesus, that's the he. 
Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow today before you will three times deny that you even know me. One more verse, I think. Oh, no, that was good, that last verse. Peter, of course, oh, Lord, I'll never deny you, I'll never deny you. Do you see how dramatic that failure could be if it happens? The Lord said, Peter, before this night's over. I mean, you think you're in a really good, solid place, Peter. I'm not telling you like a year or two from now, Peter. Before this night is over, you're going to deny the fact that you even know me. I don't know if there's anyone in this room, and don't raise your hand. I don't know if there's a single one of us in this room that has ever vehemently denied even knowing Jesus when asked, when pressed. But what happened? I'll tell you what happened. From the time Jesus said this until just a few hours later, circumstances completely changed. Everything was, they knew things were getting a little, but Jesus was there. But somewhere between this and a few hours later, Judas shows up in the garden with some soldiers, kisses Jesus on the side of the face. Peter's feeling fear and a need to respond, draws a sword. Jesus has put away the sword, puts the ear back on Malchus, the priest servant's ear, head. And, and Peter's like, and fear has gripped them. They've watched the soldiers take Jesus away. And they've been hearing rumblings about this anyway. And now Peter and the other 11, his name mentioned, but they were all there. They're starting to feel fear where they felt faith just a little bit before. Peter had a lot of faith in this in, before. Lord, I'll never deny you. That's faith. But then all of a sudden, everything in his circumstances changed. He thought, I'm going to lose my life. And he's faced with the prospect of declaring Jesus. And that very night, he tells people, I don't know the man. Can you even fathom that? I mean, really, can you just pause for just a second and think about that. He had walked with him, talked with him, had sat and ate with him. Not just him and the other 11, him and James and John, the three of them. There was a closeness and an intimacy with Jesus that others. He had watched the Mount of Transfiguration and seen Moses and Elijah standing there with Christ. He had witnessed it. He had been taken aside, the two and three. They, he had seen things in the garden deeper than others had even seen. Jesus said, Peter, you and James and John, come on with me over here. Peter had such a close relationship. And then Peter, three times in less than just a few hours, says, I do not know the man I don't even know him oh no but your speech the way you talk and so what does he do he starts cursing and says I don't know him you want to talk about failing God it would seem at this point the Lord would say I had so much hope for him that's how we think I had so much hope for him. I really believed that I would be able to use him. I really had plans for that guy. I, you know, it's the same Peter that had the revelation of who he was. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. 
Peter's got divine revelation. And Peter says, I don't know the man. Not once, not twice, but three times. Failed God. Yeah? I think it's safe to say that's failing God. Is that okay? What did Peter do? Well, by the time you get to the last chapter of John, Peter stayed around the right people. See, there's a big deal right there. You fail God, you better. It's one thing to fail God and have to deal with some things until you get truly repentant and restored in relationship. But at least Peter had the wherewithal to stay around the right people. After he failed. Didn't he? He failed God, but he didn't abandon John and James and Thomas and, right? They were all struggling with and through things. But he kept the right relationships. When you and I fail, if we're not careful, the adversary will try to get us to change relationships or separate out from the body of Christ or remove ourselves from those that are still. Doesn't mean, and here's, well, I failed greater than they do, or I don't think they've ever failed. This is what the enemy makes you believe. Last chapter of John, you find them sitting by the, they're out fishing. Jesus comes up, he's there on the seashore. And they recognized and knew, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Peter jumps off into the water. They go up. Jesus already has fish. They're out there fishing. He's already got fish. They sit down around and start eating with him. And Peter has to face the one he denied. At least when he failed him, he was willing to go back and face him. The deception of the adversary is to get us to believe that if I fail him, I don't have the right to look to him and talk to him anymore. That's the enemy. He's a liar. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? How that question must have stung his spirit. It's tough, isn't it, when the Lord asks you questions about your relationship with him after you've missed the mark. Lord, I love you. Okay, Peter, feed my sheep. I don't know how much time went by and Peter turning that in his mind, wondering about, oh, I'm glad we got past that moment. That was tough. And the Lord turns to him again. Hey, Peter, got a question. Yeah, yeah, Lord, what is it? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. A little bit later, one more time. Peter, do you love me? The third time. You love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. It's a different Bible study for a different time. We probably taught it here once before, I believe. 
The first two times Jesus asked him if he loved him was agape. The third time was filio. Peter, Peter wasn't completely ready to commit to being agape yet. And so Jesus was saying, I'm willing to accept you filio loving me until I get you to the place that agape is working in your life. Study it. Peter wasn't quite ready to commit to agape. And so Jesus, desiring to use him, the third time said, Peter, do you filio me? Jesus was willing to adjust in order to get Peter back in right relationship and postured for the plans he had for him. Now, we know the story, right? Acts chapter 2. It's a different Peter all of a sudden. Something's happened. What's happened? He's been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He'd had that place of repentance with the Lord, but now he's filled with the Spirit of God. He's not afraid any longer to declare Jesus. He's, he doesn't care. He's ready to die if that's what it means. And ultimately, he did die for the gospel. Why? I think it's safe to say about Peter. We know that he went out two by two when the Lord Jesus sent 70 out. He healed the sick. Yes, Cast out devils, raise it, yes. But I think it's safe to say that the greatest ministry of Peter's life, God's greatest use of Peter was after his failure. I think the greatest ministry in Peter's life came after he missed the mark, after he realized he didn't measure up, after he realized he couldn't do it and made a mistake that he couldn't fix in his own doing. After his failure, he entered into his greatest use, being used greater than he'd ever thought by God. You understand it's the very same Peter that the Bible says that he would walk down the street. And when he walked down the street, People, there was some reputation and some work of the kingdom of God and the spirit of God that preceded him. The Bible says that people would bring their sick and their lame and they would lay them in the street. So that the very shadow of Peter, when he passed by, Peter's shadow would pass over them and they would be healed. That did not happen before his failure. That happened after his failure. He didn't preach the message at Pentecost before his failure. He preached it after his failure. You understand? He didn't go to Cornelius' house and declare the gospel and see Cornelius' house receive the gift of the Holy Ghost before his failure. It was after his failure. Somebody hear the word of the Lord today. I feel the beckoning pull of God saying, I want to enlist people in the work of the kingdom in this last hour. It's time you stop holding on to your failure and thinking that limits how God is going to use you. You need to get something in your spirit that says rejoice not. Not against me, oh mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. 
You got to get something in your spirit. You got to get something in your spirit. You got to let the spirit of God stir you that says my failure does not define me. My failure propels me to him. My failure takes me into a place with him that he can take my life and do whatever he wants to do. Stop holding on to the mistake. Put it in the hands of God and let him use you. Stop measuring your effectiveness in the kingdom by how good you were or were not yesterday, last week, last month, last year. Your greatest ministry comes after failure. The enemy wants you to think you lost out. You didn't lose out. Talk to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Come on, you didn't lose out. You did not lose out. You say, are you telling me I didn't make a mistake? No, I'm not telling you that. You failed. I failed. I missed the mark terribly. I made a mess of things in my own doing. But we serve a God that is rich in mercy. We serve a God that is long-suffering. We serve a God that desires to work through his people. And if I'll humble myself and I'll come back to him in true repentance and submission and saying, God, here I am. If you can use anything, use me. If you'll use a king that committed adultery and murder and you'll cause your bloodline to come after the failure, you can use me. If you'll take a prophet that ran contrary to your word and use him to transform a city, you can use me. If you'll take a man that denied you even knowing you and then you'll do marvelous and miraculous miraculous things with him God you can use me come on it is the hour of the church it is the hour of the church it's time to realize and recognize Satan may have desired me he may have tried to sift me as weak but someone greater than I has prayed for me the King of Kings and the Lord of Lord has interceded on my behalf Jesus Christ himself has prayed for me and though I fail I will arise not because of my ability but because of his prayer come on you got ministry to walk in come on you got miracles wrapped up in your life come on you got anointing set upon you come on you got calling on your life it's time to stop holding on to the failure get to the foot of the cross get it back under the blood and walk in the power and the calling of the spirit of God that's on your life On the world needs you. The world needs me. The world needs the ministry of Christ through our lives. Jesus in your name.
Jesus. Can you go to Micah chapter 7 again? It'll take me too long to find it right here. Go towards the end of that chapter, probably like the last four verses. Last four or five verses. I'm finishing here. Next verse. Right there, that's the verse I want. Stand with me. I'll give you hope. Same chapter. Watch how Micah closes this out. Who is a God like unto you? You pardon iniquity. And you pass by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retained. Watch this. Somebody needs to hear this today. Somebody needs to hear this today. This is the word of the Lord. He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Now, do you remember what he said just a few verses earlier? We read at the outset. He said, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned. Yes? I'll bear the anger, the righteous indignation of the Lord because I've sinned. But by the time he's talked to the Lord and the Lord has pleaded his cause, a few verses later, he's saying he doesn't hold on to his anger forever. He's not saying God wasn't angry at him for his sin. He just understood there comes a point in the nature of God where he says they were bound to fail because they're human. That's why I went to a cross so I could rescue them from their failure. And I want them to know I'm angry when they fail. But I want them to know there comes a point where I stop holding on to that anger. Why? Because more than I hold on to anger, I take delight in having mercy. I take delight in expressing mercy. Where they expect judgment, they'll see mercy. Why? Because I have a plan for them. I will use them. I'm telling you, your greatest anointing is on the other side of your failure. Next verse, next verse. He didn't stop there. He delights in mercy. Watch, this is the Lord he's talking about. He will turn again. He may have turned away from us for a moment, but he will turn again. And he'll have compassion on us. Not only is he going to have compassion on us, those failures, he's going to subdue our iniquities. And he's not just going to subdue them. You may try to hold on to them. But once he gets a hold of them, he's going to cast all of their sins into the depths of the sea. This is the heart of God towards you. Because he wants to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to use every one of us in this room in great and mighty and supernatural ways to reach the world. 
But if we allow the adversary to keep us bound up in our failure rather than missing the scriptural principle that greatest ministry in people's lives throughout scripture came after their failure. Their failure helped them understand and remind them, I'm human. My only hope of being used by God is not trusting in myself. I look around this room this morning. And there's no doubt every one of us could tell a story. Men's breakfast yesterday, we heard some stories, some men, some testimonies. I'm so glad the failure wasn't the final chapter. It can be the final chapter if you listen to the adversary. But if you'll hear the word of the Lord, it won't be the final chapter. It'll be the turning point. It'll be the turning point. Brother Reuben, your greatest ministry is in front of you. The most powerful anointing of God and the demonstration of his spirit through your life. It's in front of you. I'm telling you, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's southern English. Come on, this altar is open to you today. If you're ready to embrace the compassion of God and the desire of God towards you. And saying, God, it's time to move past Come on, don't come up here. Don't come up here. Oh, I'm so woe is me. You need to acknowledge, God, I'm ready to move past. I'll receive your word and I'll walk in it. I believe what I see as a principle in the word of God. The greatest ministry and anointing of God came upon men's life after their failure. When they put their life back in his hands and said, God, I made a mess. But if you'll take me, I'll let you use me. I'm not withdrawing my name. I'm not aborting the process. I'm not bailing out because I missed the mark. I'm just coming to the cross again and I'm clinging more than I've ever clinged. Take me, Lord, and use me in spite of my failure.